right, so uh, we're going to be talking about what is required to make sure that we can persevere to the end, that this this journey, this faith journey that we started, that we end it with confidence and with the same enthusiasm that we started it in. Because how many of you guys know, a lot of times we start a project and we're real excited, and then we get about halfway through and we start to kind of peter out a little bit, right? Uh, I've got a, a young man, he used to be in my youth group when I was uh, a youth pastor in Virginia, and, and he posted a, a, a meme the other day. He, he's all the time working on cars, and he said, when you're eight hours into that one-hour uh, car repair, he said, and you start questioning, you know, did I make the right decision? Anybody ever had an experience like that? Yeah, sometimes life doesn't work out the way we plan. But there's a lot of times in our lives where we make resolutions or we resolve or decide that, hey, I'm going to change some things. You know, a lot of times it's at the New Year's. So, it's, you know, if you go to the gym in January, it's going to be packed. You're not going to be able to find anybody there. But get towards, you know, you don't even have to get very far. By March, you know, most of those people have, have tapered off. You know, hey, the, the gym life was not for me. You know, I, and I'm not judging there because I've been there. I've done that myself. I, I can't tell you how many times. I, I still got a gym membership that I barely ever use, you know. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I, maybe if I just keep sending that $10 to the gym every month, it'll make me healthier. I don't know. But, um, and then other times we, we just kind of jump headlong into a project. Uh, I had a friend, he recently bought a house and part of it, he was going to do some repairs to the house. And so when he moved in, he, he didn't even unpack all of his things yet. He said, because I'm just going to have to move it all when I start doing the painting and the, the flooring and all that kind of stuff. But then he got in and he, he started doing the demolition. And once he got everything ripped out and torn out, he said, well, this is going to be a lot harder to put back than I thought it was. And so, you know, he finally sent me uh, some pictures about four months later after he started. He said, I finally got all the flooring in through the whole house. And so a lot of times we do that. We get into something and then we get overwhelmed. And then other times we get so excited because we find something new and it catches our attention and we're passionate about it. And so we jump right in to, to a new hobby and before you know it, we're overwhelmed. Anybody uh, ever seen somebody who, you know, once they get into something, they go whole hog, right? You, you can't just, you know, you just can't go golf with your buddies every now and then. It's like, oh no, I have to go buy the, you know, the $1,500 clubs and I got to get the clothes that look right and I got to have all the other things. And then you get into it and you're like, look, I'm not even good at golf. So why do I have all this stuff? stuff. So a lot of times we jump into things and we start hot, but then we fizzle. Last year, um, I like to go hiking. I like to be outside. So last year I went up to this place in Indiana that I'd never been before because I read online that there was a really nice waterfall there. So I thought, I'm going to go up. I'm going to check out this waterfall. So that day, it was a beautiful day. I drive up there and, uh, you know, they've, they've got the, the entrance to the place clearly marked. And, and there was actually quite a few people there that day. So it was like, you know, I came out into the woods to be alone, but there's all these, you know, people out here in my woods. What are they doing here? Let's get them out of here. But I didn't even let that get me out of my good mood because it was a beautiful day and I was going to get to be in nature. So I park in the parking lot and I start off down the trail. And man, I was loving it because that whole first part of that trail, it was all downhill. Because, see, to get to the bottom of the waterfall, you had to go down in the valley, right? So you get down to the valley and then you're down there and it's, it's amazing. There's boulders. You can jump, jump from rock to rock and then the, there's the water going by. If you get hot, you can take your shoes off and, and, and you know, wiggle your toes in the water. It was just a beautiful day. I even got all the way to where the waterfalls were, and I even climbed up the side of it a little bit, and I was just having a really good time. But then I was thinking, okay, well, it's time for lunch, so I'm going to head back to town. I'm going to find myself something to eat. Well, I got back to 
the beginning of the trail that had been all downhill, and now it was all uphill, coming back the other way. And I thought, all right, I'm going to do this. It's, it, it's a long pull, but if I will just put my head down and, and just keep churning my legs, I will get to the top of this hill. And let me tell you, I did not have to stop once or twice, but three times on the way up that hill. That was a big old hill. And sometimes it's a little bit like that in our lives. We start off and we're like, man, this is great, this is grand. But then we get into it and we realize this is harder than I thought it was going to be. So we're going to talk today a little bit about what it's like to approach our walk with Jesus with a, in, in a way and at a pace that allows us to continue on and not fizzle out. So sometimes life is good. We're experiencing good things, healthy things. Um, you know, our, our families are in good places. Our career's in a good place. Our finances are in a good place. Things are going well for us, but we're not living at a pace that's sustainable. Anybody ever been like that before? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes we're running ourselves so ragged. The old song says everybody's working for the weekend, right? You know, you shouldn't be killing yourself all week long just so that you get two days on the weekend to put yourself back together. How about instead of that, why don't we live a life where we can just, you know, be sustainable, do it the right way. And then that way when we get to the weekend, we can truly rest and relax and, 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 and experience that Sabbath rest that God wants for us to have. So today we're going to be looking at a scripture from a man who truly understood that, that, that traditional phrase, that, that, that proverb, that piece of wisdom that says, it's not about how you start, it's how you finish. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4 today. And I'll let you guys turn there real quick. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, Jared's got you covered. He's got it on the screen there. He asked me if I had notes for today. I said, of course I have notes. I just don't have any for you. So you get to play along, right? Um, but in this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. Uh, he had worked alongside of Paul. Paul was coming to the end of his life. And so Paul was just trying to encourage Timothy and, and try to give him some guidance. And so we get to this passage here. And uh, he's got 4-7 up there. But I'm going to actually read verses 6 and 8 as well just to give us a little context. So Paul writes this. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering... And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So that's a very familiar passage of Scripture. A lot of people use that, especially, you know, you see these 5K fundraisers and that kind of stuff, and, and people throw that, well, I, I fought the good fight, I finished the race. And, and the, the reality is, is we've all engaged in projects or, or, or done things that required some perseverance in our life. You know, the things that are really meaningful, the things that we're really proud of are not the things that come easy. It's the things we had to work for that we're truly proud of. And so Paul here, as he comes to the end of his life, he issues this powerful statement to Timothy and he says, look, you're young, you're at the beginning of your race, I'm at the end of mine, but let me tell you how confident I am in the way I have lived out my life. And so I'm going to give you some advice and I'm going to help you live your life so that you can pursue God's purpose for your life in a way that will allow you to finish as strongly as I have. Now, was that a little bit arrogant? 
I don't think it was, because if you know Paul, you know that he admitted he had some struggles. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But he was confident in what his reward was going to be. He was confident that the promise that God had given him was going to come true, that he was going to receive that crown of righteousness, that it was already laid up and waiting for him. Anybody here ever get a message from, from maybe your mom or your spouse or somebody like that that says, hey, dinner's on the table, get on over here. You know, that, that just gives you a whole new uh, perspective on getting home. It's right, I don't have to come home and cook, the food's already ready. And I don't know about you, but I'd be speeding all the way home if someone's got the food already on the table for me. But anyway, Paul um, had great confidence, and so today we're going to break down that seventh verse, because that's kind of the, the crux, that's the, that's the crucial part of this statement, and we're going to talk about some of these things that Paul talked about there. He said, I have fought the good fight. Now, Paul could easily have meant many things there. He could have meant... He was literally going out and fighting people for Jesus. So I'm going to beat Jesus into you. You know, there's a few people I know that probably needed to have Jesus beat into them. Well, you know, or, or beat the devil out of them, one or the other. I'm not sure. But, but either way, you know, life comes at us and sometimes we're engaged in a fight. In fact, Scripture teaches us that every day of our life we're engaged in a spiritual battle. Now, I'm not one of these people that says, oh, the devil made me do it all the time. And I'm not one of these people that thinks there's, there's a devil or a demon behind every bush and every pillar coming after us. But the reality is, is that we have an enemy that is working against us. We have someone who is coming after us, wants to tear us down, wants nothing but harm for us. He doesn't want to see us flourish. He doesn't want to see us walk in God's grace and in his blessings and in his mercies. So we are engaged in battle every day. And one of the worst things that we can do is forget that fact that, that we have someone who's working against us. But you want to know the flip side of that is we have someone on our side. We have God who's backing us up. We, we're, we're approaching this battle not in our own power, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible makes it clear that we're engaged in spiritual battle. And, and one, of the, one of the hardest things for us to do is to remember that. Because, you know, when, whenever there's an emergency, we get into that heightened state, right? You, your, your senses get sharper. You, your, your thinking gets clearer. You, you cut away all the, the, uh, the distractions and, and anything else that isn't important, and you get laser-focused on this emergency situation, right? But that takes a toll on your body. Your body can only do that for so long before eventually that, that, that adrenaline rush that, that, that gave you those superhuman abilities, it starts to fade. It starts to pass away. We can't live in a constant state of heightened alert and anxiety. We just, we're not designed. We're not wired to do that. We'll burn out like a fuse. And so it's easy to fall away. It's easy to say, well, the emergency's passed, but the reality is, is that, that it's not. You know, when you think about soldiers, uh, so many of them, the, the ones that, especially when you're reading about World War I and how they were in the trench warfare, one of the worst parts was just the anxiety for them. They never knew when the attack was going to come. You could never relax. You could never rest. Not that you could rest very much in a, in a trench, but even what little bit of sleep they got, it could be interrupted by the whistles at any time. The enemy's coming. The enemy's coming. And so it's hard to live in that kind of state all the time. But here's the reality. We are going to be hit with things in our life. It's going to happen. It's going to happen whether you're following Jesus or whether you're living for yourself. 
You're going to be hit with adversity in this life. And Paul was no stranger to that. Let's review this a little bit. He, he says it like this to the Ephesians. Uh, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, Paul wasn't saying that to scare us. He wasn't saying that to say, well, you've got um, enemy forces arrayed against you and you better just give on up. That's not what he was saying. He was just saying we need to, to stay with it. We've got to fight that good fight. We've got to be committed to what we're doing. Paul definitely knew what he was talking about when it comes to adversity. We, we see in Acts chapter 14, um, it, it, here, here's a story of how he went in and he was doing the Lord's work. He was preaching the gospel. He was sharing about God to people who needed to hear it. But let's hear what kind of reward he got for that. He said, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that uh, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, you know, I, I, I enjoy coming to church and one of the things I like to do is, you know, usually we dress up a little bit nicer, right? We scrub behind our ears if we haven't done that all week. We might, we might shave and we might, might even brush our teeth. You know, you get dressed up, you're looking kind of nice. And that kind of helps when you're the guy up on the stage and you're the one talking to everybody. So you got to imagine that first time Paul was up there and he was preaching, you know, people were like, hey, I'm going to listen to this guy. He looks put together. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. But then the enemy came against him and they stoned him. They beat him up. They thought he was dead. All right? So what happened, though? Paul got right up, and the very next day, he went to the next town over and started preaching again. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to imagine Paul sitting there, and he's got a couple black eyes, and maybe he's missing a tooth, and, and you know, there's blood trickling from the corner of his mouth, but he's like, you know what? Jesus is good, and you need him in your life. That's a little bit crazy to think about that, right? But he was so convinced he, that, that those people needed Jesus in their life. He was so convinced that no matter what we face in our life, it's going to be worth it. He was so convinced that he wasn't going to let people trying to literally kill him, literally take his life from him. He wasn't going to let that, that stop him from pursuing what God had laid out for him. Paul not only was beaten up, he was stoned, but he was also shipwrecked. In Acts 28, it tells the story, it says, After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta, and the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. So let's paint the picture here. They'd been on a ship, the ship had been destroyed, and they washed up on this island. And these islanders, they said, okay, we're going to help these people. They're obviously in need. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one, other, one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. How, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and, and decided that he was a god instead. 
So it's a little bit crazy. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. But here, Paul, he gets shipwrecked. It's no big deal. I've been here before. I've, I've faced adversity before. I go to build a little fire just to warm up, and I get snake bit. Oh, well, no big deal. I can handle that too. Paul was so confident that no matter what happened to him, he was going to be okay. In 2 Corinthians, he says, here, let me just lay this out. Let me tell you what kind of life I've lived. I didn't become uh, an apostle. I didn't become a, a pastor and, and, a, and a minister of the gospel because I thought life was going to be easy. I had it easy before. I was, I was a Pharisee. I w- had uh, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the, the most respected uh, scholars of his day. So he had a good life before, but here's what he ended up with when he decided to follow Jesus instead. 2 Corinthians 11 says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. That's a just fancy way of saying 39 because 40 lashes would be too much, right? So we'll just do 39. We don't want to, we don't want to go overboard here with the lashes. So uh, five times he received the lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And I, I spent a night and a day adrift at sea. Boy, that sounds like fun. Let me sign up for that one, right? No, it's, it's terrible. Like that, That's not something we want to go through. But at the end of it, he was able to say, look, I've been through all of that, but guess what? I made it through because I had God holding me up. I had God sustaining me. So no matter what life threw at me, I was able to roll with those punches. I don't know much about boxing. I just know every now and then there's a big fight and everybody says, okay, well, you need to watch this one fight because this, this is the championship. You need to see this one fight. And so every now and then I'll tune into one. And you know what makes uh, a good fighter good? is Because they're going to get hit. It's going to happen. At some point, the other person's going to connect and, and land a blow. But the good fighters, they know how to duck, dip, dodge, and dive, and duck, or whatever that statement is from, from dodgeball. But eventually you can't dodge anymore. And you get hit with a punch. And you have to learn how to roll with that punch. You take it on your chin, but you roll with it. And that steals some of the momentum, and it doesn't rock you. You know, you, we see these videos every now and then of someone getting sucker punched out on the street, uh, you know, where someone just walks up and they hit you unawares. And because they don't roll with that punch, it rings their bell. Man, sometimes you, it just turns a, their lights off like a switch. But when you know the punch is coming and you roll with it, you're able to take it. And here's the thing. We're going to get hit in life. So if we're going to persevere, we've got to learn how to roll with those punches. When I was in college, I had a, a, a roommate and a neighbor. And they were friends. They were even in the same fraternity. But, they, man, they loved each other like brothers. And what I mean by that is they loved each other, but they fought too. And, and every now and then they'd get going back and forth at each other. And, and then, you know, it would just kind of start to boil over. Most of the time, one of us other guys would hop in there and be like, hey, guys, cool down, cool down. Well, let me, let me just paint the picture here for you a little bit. One of the guys, he, he's about six foot two and, and probably 250 pounds, you know, not a small guy. The other guy was six foot eight and pushing 400 pounds. This guy was a mountain of a man. And in fact, we didn't even call him by his name, which was John Corey Hattenstein. We called him Biscuit. Right? Because he, he liked biscuits. Right? And, and he was a biscuit. I mean, he's a big boy. Anyway, they get going at each other one day, and biscuits in our, uh, in our kitchen, and he and Eric get in each other's faces, and they're, they're fighting. And, uh, you know, you, you start kind of pushing, and, and then things get a little physical. And then, you know, Eric, he finally got fed up, so, so he laid into biscuit. 
you know, and, and he starts swinging, and he's swinging at him, and I already told you, this guy's 400 pounds. It wasn't doing anything to him, right? And, and then, all of a sudden, Eric realized, if I keep punching him down here, it ain't going to do any good, so he popped him upside the face, and I'll tell you, when that happened, Biscuit got angry, right? And when Biscuit got angry, Biscuit put Eric on the floor, right? So, sometimes we do that in, in life. We, we think that... that uh, you know, we can take it, and then things cross the line, and then we get angry, you know, and, and so sometimes we have to just realize that, you know what, when I get angry, I have power to do something about this. I don't have to sit here and let this little fly keep hitting on me and keep messing with me. I have the power of God on my side. I have heaven's armies on my side, and if the devil wants to keep messing with me, he's going to start to regret it, and so we have to learn how to stand in that. Paul knew that the key, to, uh, the key to success in a good fight was that we had to approach it in the right way. We had to uh, run in a way where we had a sustainable pace, where we weren't wearing ourselves out, where we weren't constantly on high alert, running around with our heads on fire. We trust God. We know that, hey, bad things are going to happen. When they happen, we're just going to keep calm and we're going to push on, right? Because we know who's going to win in the end. So Paul, he takes things a step further, though. Instead of just saying, I fought the good fight, he, next he says, I finished the race. All right? So Paul, in this passage, he's, he's realizing my life is coming to an end. Right? And, and there's, there's a lot of things that, that we can do when we keep that perspective that our time here is limited. You know, we have a beginning and we have an end. You know, we think about that beginning. We celebrate it. Every year we have us a little birthday party. We get our little hat. We get our little cake or our cupcake. We throw ourselves, ourselves a little party. And we celebrate the beginning of our lives. But there's going to come a day where the opposite of that happens. Where we have an end to our life. And so Paul, as he gets closer to the end of his life, he's looking back and reflecting. And he's saying that, look, when I, when I get to the end, I'm, I'm getting close. And when I get there, I can tell you this. I left it all on the court. I laid it all on the line. I didn't hold back at all. I pursued God with everything that was in me, and I didn't stop till the very end. You know, and, and, and you, know, you could say, well, what if, he, what if he gave up on the last day? Well, if Paul stuck through all of that other stuff, I'm pretty sure he stayed faithful till the very end. But that takes commitment. You have to, you have to say, I'm going to finish this thing that I started. And not only do we... Um, get tired and, and we, we fizzle out because we just can't sustain that, that pace. But sometimes, sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we allow things to uh, get us pulled off of what we wanted to do. Um, and so, you know, how many of you guys, and, and I'm talking to the men here, how many of you in your, in your workshop or your garage, you've got about three or four projects that you started and you got about halfway through and then you stuck it on the shelf. I'll finish that another day and it's got dust all over it and cobwebs and all that kind of stuff because you never went back to it. Well, that's the way it is sometimes. Sometimes we start and then we don't stay committed to finishing what we started. Listen, if it was important enough for you to do it, it's important enough to finish it. And so that's what, what uh, Paul's talking about here. Listen, Paul is talking about a race. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a sprinter, right? I'm not a long-distance runner. I'm not any kind of runner. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a walk at a, at a brisk 
you know, uh, at a brisk walk, if that's, if that's what I have to do, if I have to get somewhere fast. You know, every now and then I get a wild hair and I decide when I'm over in the park next door, I think, well, I'm going to jog a lap or two. And then I get about halfway through it and I realize this was a bad idea, didn't I? I forgot I'm, I'm 40 years old and I'm overweight. This is a bad idea. I need to stop this. But the reality is, is if I kept with it, it'd be good for me. And so, um, you know, Paul talks about running a race. And God, when we choose to, to follow him, he doesn't promise us an easy race or a smooth race. In fact, they, you know, God pretty much promises us, you're going to face trials, you're going to face tribulation. In fact, Jesus says it like this in John 16. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, you're going to face adversity. You're going to face things that try to trip you up, make you stumble, make you give up. But, but have hope. Jesus has already overcome anything that the world can throw at you. So if we know from the, from the life of Paul and the words of Jesus that trouble is going to come our way, we know that we're going to have to work hard to stay in it. We know that if we're going to finish this race that, that God has put before us, that we're going to have to commit to that process. And if we're going to do it, that means we're going to need the right kind of fuel. A few years ago, uh, there was a mini-series that came out, and I really enjoyed it. It was called Band of Brothers. Anybody here ever seen Band of Brothers? It's a, it's a great little mini-series. It follows this one unit during World War II, from basic training all the way through to the end of the war. And in that very first episode, it's showing them going through all the things they have to go through to go through basic training. You know, they're doing the push-ups. They're doing the sit-ups. They're doing the runs. You know, they're, they're learning how to operate their weapons. And uh, so they're training at this base down in Georgia. And one of the things they make them do is they make them run up this mountain called Kurahee every day. They had to run up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. At first, they were doing it in their gym shorts and in their T-shirt. And that wasn't too bad. But then they started saying, okay, well, now let's put on all your gear. And so now you've got to run up and down the hill in your gear with your backpack on and all of that. And they make them run up and down. And then if somebody messed something up that day, if, if somebody didn't clean their weapon riders or somebody didn't finish one of their, their tasks on time, they'd say, guess what? You get to run up and down the hill one more time. And boy, they, 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 they were just getting themselves worn out running up and down this mountain called Kurahee. Well, in the story, there, in, in, in the miniseries, it tells about this time when the, their commanding officer decides, I'm going to really push them to the limit. So what does he do? He calls them all in. He says, hey guys, we're going to take it easy today. We're not going to run up and down the mountain today. Instead, I'm going to serve you a big old spaghetti dinner, right? So he brings them all in. He fills them all up with all the pasta and sauce that they can handle. They're having a good old time. They're eating the breadsticks. The breadsticks are the best part, right, people? Anyway, so they get all that eaten, and then guess what he does? He runs in, and he says, guess what we're doing today? We're running up Kurahi. So they go, and then they start running up and down that hill. Well, it kills them, right? Because they didn't have the right kind of fuel. Now, do you need some carbs to run? Sure you do. But you don't need two pounds of, of spaghetti and breadsticks in your belly if you're going to go running up a mountain with a backpack, a 60-pound backpack on your back. So, of course, they're throwing up, and they're having to drag each other up this mountain because they were killing themselves. They didn't have the right kind of fuel. Well, the thing is, if we're going to run with perseverance, we've got to make sure that we're fueling ourselves up correctly we got to make sure that we're staying in that Word. we got to make sure that we're worshiping daily. You say, well, but wait, we do worship on Sunday mornings, and, and that's the first thing that we do. You know, you should be worshiping every day. And, and does that mean that you have to have a, a praise break in your car? Maybe it does. 
But maybe it's you're worshiping God through other things. You know, when we give offerings, that's an act of worship. When we serve others, that's an act of worship. What makes it an act of worship is when we're doing it for God's glory. So we can make our lives a pattern of worship. We can return to Scripture and we can read so that, that we can get that water bubbling up outside of us. Like Jesus talked about in John chapter 3, he said, you know, we'll have that, that streams of living water that will come out of us. Well, you don't have water that comes out unless there's a source inside. How do you get that source inside? Well, you take some Scripture and you hide it in your heart. You know, I love that these little kids, they just eat it up when we do the memory verse. They're so proud when they can come to me and they can say, look, Pastor John, I know the memory verse. And they all want to say it. And they'll get offended because I'll say, okay, well, if you know the memory verse, go ahead, you say it. And then they're like, well, why'd you pick her? I knew it too. I want to say it too. I'm like, well, you could say it too. Because, you know, the Bible's not just for one of you, it's for all of you. And they hide it in their hearts and then it comes out of them. It comes out of them. And so we have to do the same thing. If we're going to run with perseverance, if we're going to run the race we're, we're designed to do, we got to make sure that we're fueling ourselves the right way. David writes this in Psalm 91. He says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. The writer of this psalm made it very clear. If we're going to run with perseverance, we need God to sustain us. He's our refuge. He's going to be the one who keeps us going. You know, I, again, I'm not a marathon runner, but I've watched one on TV. And what do they have? They have somebody standing on the side of the road with those bottles of water. Because if you're running, you've got to keep going. And so what do they do? They snatch it up. I saw one guy, he cheated, and when he went by the water table, he knocked all the others off, and he grabbed the last one. So he's trying to cheat and not let anybody else have their water. That's pretty sneaky stuff, I would say. But anyway, the point is, is that we got to make sure that, that we are returning and we are fueling ourselves the right way. It's pretty hard to stay hydrated if your well's dry, right? And so that's why we got to make sure that we're returning to God on a daily basis. You know, one of the things that I love about reading uh, about Jesus is Jesus was a man on a mission. He had three short years to get everything done that God needed him to do on this earth. And yet we see that Jesus lived a life of rhythm. He would retreat. It said he would go away. He'd get up early in the morning. They'd say, where's Jesus? Oh, well, he's probably out praying again. He's probably spending time with his father. He would retreat. He would go away. He would refresh himself. And then he would come back. He would engage back and forth, in and out. And the only way Jesus was able to maintain that pace was because he had that rhythm. And so we have to make sure that we're doing the same things in our lives. So, you know, if we are going to stay hydrated, we also have to make sure we're drinking the right things, right? You know, Gatorade's okay. Water's good. You know, but, but if you're drinking sodas... You know, and, and all that other kind of junk, you know, putting that inside of you, that's not going to keep you hydrated. They say if you're thirsty, you know, you shouldn't drink sodas. It'll actually dehydrate you further because your body has to work to get all the extra chemicals out. So we got to make sure that we are hydrating ourselves with the right things. And then the last thing that, that Paul says here is he says, I have kept the faith. Did you catch that? He says, I've kept the faith. That means he possessed it. And he held on to it. 
because he knew it was worth something. You don't hold on to something that's junk. Well, maybe some of us do. I'm not judging if your garage is full. But most of us, if we hold on to something, it's because there's a value to it, right? You know, for all of us guys with our our box full of random cords and we don't even know what it belongs to, why do we hold on to it? Because we we say, it might not have any use or worth right now, but it might someday, and I want to make sure that I have it. And so instead, we've got cables for equipment that we haven't used in 20 years and, and we don't even know what it belongs to or, or if it's the right voltage for anything, but we hold on to it in hopes that maybe someday this will have a use. So we'll hold on to something like that that's just worthless. It's junk. It's mass-produced. We could replace it in a heartbeat. We'll hold on to that, but we let the things that are important slip out of our grasp. Paul says, I have kept the faith. Over and above everything else that he's just stated, stated, I fought the fight, I ran the race. He understood that he had to keep the important things first in his life. Temporary issues try to distract us. Things try to push us away from God. See, there's, there's no one out in the world who's going to tell you, you know, you need to, you need to read your Bible today. You know, you, you, when we're kids, we have our, our parents that look after us and they'll say, hey, Did you eat your food? Did you do your homework? Did you put your sunscreen on? We have those people in our lives that that they serve as a guardrail for us. Well, let me tell you something. The world is not going to remind you to do the things you need to do to flourish spiritually. It's not going to say, hey, did you read your Bible today? It's going to say, hey, have you seen the latest Netflix show? Right? It's not going to say, you know, uh, it's not going to say, when's the last time you went to church? right? It's going to say, when's the last time you went on vacation? And there's nothing wrong with vacation. I love vacation. I'm going to go on one in a couple weeks and I'm looking forward to it. But here's the thing, you know, we have to keep the important things important. There's a book on my, on my to read shelf. How many of you guys have a a to read shelf? You buy those books and, and if you put the book on the to read shelf, it's as good as reading it, right? You know, you had the intention of reading it. So I haven't gotten to this one yet, but I love the title. It's called 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good. And the whole premise of the book is that, you know, for most of us, the average lifespan is you get 4,000 weeks. So you want to make sure that you're living your life intentionally in such a way that you've spent those weeks that you have in, on, on things that matter. And this is something that, that we, you know, as humans have understood for a long time. The, the, the Latin uh, philosophers, they, they all described it as memento mori, which if you translate that, it says, remember, you have to die. Enlightenment people would put a human skull on their bookshelf or on their desk to remind them, hey, you're going to die someday. And some people might say, well, that's just morbid or they just like Halloween too much. I don't know what's going on. But the thing is, they were trying to remind themselves that, hey, you're only here for a certain amount of time. So make sure you're doing the things that matter most. And this is a biblical principle, too. You know, when we go, and I don't know how many of you guys have ever been to a liturgical Ash Wednesday service. If you haven't, it's, they're, they're really cool. But one of the things they do is when they take the ashes mixed with the oil and they make that little black smudge on your forehead, make the little cross on your forehead, they say, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. It's trying to remind us that we only have a certain amount of time here on, life, uh, on this planet. David wrote about, teach us, Lord, to number our days. We should be going through, in li- through our life intentionally understanding that the time we are given is limited. And that's a gift. That's a gift. Think about it. 
If we had unlimited time and unlimited resources, then it wouldn't matter what we spend our time on. For instance, um, I was reading uh, one guy, he was talking about um, how the fact that we live a limited life makes our love mean something. Because, you know, think about it. it. If you have unlimited time, you could have relationships with anybody on this planet because you could live forever, right? But because you only have a limited amount of time, the fact that you choose to spend it with certain people shows them how much you appreciate them and it shows you how much they mean to you, right? When we commit to spending time with our family instead of spending time on our personal stuff or when we choose to, to make time for a friend who's going through a tough time or, or, or heaven forbid they ask you to help them move and you agree to do it, right? You're showing them how important they are to you. And it's all because you have a limited number of days. And I chose to give a part of one of those days to you. So, you know, we have to keep that in mind. The prize that, that Paul was chasing after was not one of this world. He wasn't looking for success. He wasn't looking for fame or money. He wasn't looking for acclaim. He didn't want people to pat him on the back and say, boy, good job. He wasn't looking for any of that. The only thing that mattered to him was reaching that goal, that prize that God had already told him, I've got it set aside. It is a crown of righteousness. It's waiting for you when you get here. And so he approached life from that perspective. There's a, a Church of God uh, theologian, his name is Hollis Gauze, and he wrote about living your life like a crescendo. Right? And, and, and he talked about there should be a swell of music, especially as we get closer and closer to entering into God's presence, into his throne room. He said, so I want to live my every day where it's, you know, God's grace and his presence is louder in my life than it has ever been because I don't know which day is going to be my last. And I don't know which day I'm going to step across that threshold and no longer will I be in this world. I'll be in the next one. And so we have to make sure that we live our lives in such a way so that we don't peter out, but we continue going up and ascending. You know, the things that matter are hard to measure. They really are. You could say, well, is he rich or is he not? Well, I don't know. Does he have a million dollars? Can he afford to fill up his car with gas? If he can, then he's rich, right? You know, th those are things that we can measure. Is he a good student? I don't know. Does he have A's and B's or is he flunking half of his classes? You know, it, those are the things that are easy to measure and we can look at them and we can say, yep, you're either doing it or you're not. But the things that really matter in life aren't easily measurable like that. Are you a good man? Are you a good woman? Are you a good father or a good mother? Those things are a lot much or are a lot harder to measure. And so sometimes it's easy to say, well, since I can't measure it, I'm not going to hold myself accountable for it. You know, I, I don't have a progress report. You know, I, I used to hate bringing those home every year because, uh, you, you know, you bring those home to your parents and it's going to let them know whether or not you've been doing what you were supposed to be doing or not. You know, and then there's those questions. I've, I've had that fight with, or uh, thankfully he's graduated high school and I don't have to have that fight anymore, but I had that fight with Ben a time or two. He'd say, look, I hate it when my teacher calls you and tells you I didn't turn in an assignment. And I said, well, look, if you turned it in, they wouldn't have anything to tell me, Right. So there are measurable things in life, but it's a whole lot harder to say, am I a good Christian? You know, a am I doing it right? Because God doesn't give us progress reports, you know? So we have to make sure that we're staying focused on the right things. So Paul, he was pointing out to, to Timothy, he said, look, I'm at the end of my race. I'm at the end 
and I have the benefit of hindsight, I can look back on my life and I can say, yep, I was faithful. God asked me to do X and I did it. God asked me to preach in this city and I went. God asked me to, 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 to support and to minister to this person. I went and I did it. And so Paul said, I have run my race well. And musicians, if you want to come on up, this is a good time. We're coming to the end of this. You know, so Paul, though, he was reminding Timothy, someday you're going to be at the end of your race. Someday you're going to be looking back on your life. Make sure that you're running your race now in a way that you can look back on it with the confidence that I have today. Now, some of you might say, and that sounds good. In fact, I, I know this scripture. I've heard it a hundred times. It was one of my memory verses in kids' church, so I've known this verse my whole life. And it sounds good, but let me tell you something. I'm tired. I've been trying. I've been running. I've been trying to be faithful, right? Anybody here ever see the movie The Green Mile? That's a good one. You know, and they, they're, they're talking to John Coffey. He's the prisoner. He's getting ready to be executed. And they say, don't you want us to try and get you free? You're innocent. You didn't do the crime you committed. And he said, let's be honest. He said, I'm tired, boss. And when he said that, man, that, that, I relate to that. There are times when I'm just like, I'm tired, boss. I've been through the ringer. I've been trying for a long time. And I'm worn down. I'm not as good as I once was, and I'm not sure I want to be that good anymore. That was hard. I don't want to go through that again. And so a lot of us, we get to this place and we say, you know, it sounds good to run with perseverance. It sounds good to stay committed. It sounds good to keep your eyes focused on the prize. But we say, I'm too tired to do that. So how do we do that? It's all about our pace. If we went around this room and we said, okay, I want you all to run a 100 uh, yard dash. We could probably all do it. It wouldn't be real pretty. You know, we might need some oxygen at the finish line for some of us. But most of us in this room, if we had to go 100 yards, even if it took us 15 minutes, we'd get to that end. But if they came to us and they said, I want you to run a marathon, I don't think there's a person in this room that would have finished it. And I can say that because Jonathan Gregory's not in the back today. You know, he, he might be the only one that could have run. He's a little jackrabbit if you've seen him run. But anyway, the point is, is that you know, we're not in that place because we haven't trained for it, we haven't prepared for it, and we don't live a life that allows us to sustain that kind of pace. Marathon runners, they don't sprint. They don't run full out. You know, they're not sweating and huffing the whole entire 26 miles. That's crazy. They would die. They would literally die. Some people have died trying to run a marathon before. So we have to make sure that we're living our life at a pace that is sustainable. We've made it clear through this series that you have to have a healthy rhythm, a healthy cadence in your life that allows you to be, to, to be the person that God's called you to be. And it comes down to three things. You have to have intention, you have to have discipline, and you've got to have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have those things, you're not going to finish this race. I hate to tell you, and I'm not saying that to, 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 to discourage you. You're in control of all of that. You can have that intention to serve God with all your heart. You can have the discipline to hold yourself accountable and to do the things that God has called you to do, to live the life of holiness and righteousness that he's called us all to. And you can be responsive to the Holy Spirit because, listen, the Holy Spirit is there. You know, we talk about this thing called prevenient grace. What does that mean? That means before you were ever even saved, God was calling you. He was inviting you. He was giving you the ability to respond to him. 
And so if you have those things in your life, that's how you run at a sustainable pace. See, here's the problem though. Discipline's hard. Discipline's real hard. You know, this last week, I had to go out to, to Lexington, and, and there's a certain donut shop there that I know Brandon Roberts loves, so I, I called him up, and I said, let me bring you some donuts, and, and I've been trying to be good. I've been avoiding that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, I was fighting. That was a struggle. That entire way back, because I had six donuts, and they all had Brandon's name on them, but I was thinking about changing one of those names to Jonathan, and I could smell them in the truck, and I wanted one bad. Discipline's hard. But it's worth it, right? Anything that's worth doing in life, you got to commit to it. Being intentional every day is difficult. You know, famously, Jerry Seinfeld says, well, how do I write all my new material? I'll just make sure I write one joke a day. He says, when I write that one joke, I cross the day off my calendar, and I haven't broken that chain for 30 years. That's hard to do. That's commitment. And it's really hard to respond to the Holy Spirit because sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to tell you to do some things that you don't want to do. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, that thing that you're doing, you need to stop that. Or sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, you know how you like sitting in the background and you like not, keep, you know, you, you like not making a wave and you like not making a ruckus? I'm going to need you to make a ruckus right now. I'm going to need you to stand up and do some things differently. So all of those things are very, very hard. But listen, the way of Jesus is not just a set of ideas. That's our theology. That's our, that's our orthodoxy. That's making sure that we're thinking the right things about God. When we say God's a good father, we're not just putting in our earthly father and saying, okay, well, I didn't even like my earthly father that much. He kind of annoyed me, and so I'm annoyed by you, God, because, you know, you know it's not that. We have to think the right things. And it's not just a set of do's and don'ts, right? Being a Christian isn't just about, well, don't drink and don't chew and don't hang with people who do. There are things that, that we, we do refrain from, but Christianity is more than that. Following Jesus is more than that. It's a lifestyle. They say that every system is de perfectly designed to get the result that, it's gonna, that, that it is currently getting, right? So if you say, at work, we never hit our quotas, we're always running behind. Well, that should tell you something. There's something about the system that you have set up at your workplace that is producing that result. If the things that you're getting in your life, the results in your life aren't good, if they're lousy, and sometimes if we have to admit it is kind of lousy. We like to think we're doing okay, but sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, hey, this ain't the life I wanted. This ain't the life I signed up for. So let me ask you this, if your anxiety is at a simmer, if you've got mild depression, high levels of stress, chronically emotionally burnout, you have little to no sense of the presence of God in your life, you have the inability to focus on things that matter and make for a good life, if you have all of that, then the odds are very good that there's something in your life that's off kilter. There's something in your life that's not operating the way it should. There's something about the way you've organized your day, your morning and your evening routines, your budget, your relationships, all, all of the things that make up how we live our life. There's something in there that's not as it should be. So if we're going to finish, we've got to make sure that we've established and made our life, designed our life to produce the results that we want. And sometimes that means saying no to some things that we enjoy, like those donuts. I'm still thinking about them. Sometimes it means saying yes to things that we've been putting away or putting aside. 
I'm, I'm the world's worst at procrastinating on certain things. Uh, and I'm not like the lazy kind of procrastinator that, that just says, well, I'm just not going to do it at all. I just always say, well, I, I'm going to do this other thing first. And I'm going to do this thing before I get to that and this thing before I get to that. And before you know it, the thing that I needed to do, it's been sitting over in the corner for three weeks and it's judging me and I'm feeling real bad about myself. That's the kind of procrastinator I am. And so sometimes God wants me to do some things. And I say, God, I really want to do that. But God, I want, I want to do it later, right? Sometimes we have to just say, God, I'm committed. I'm going to do it. I read this passage in, in our Wednesday night Bible study a couple weeks ago, and I just I can't get it off my, off my mind. It's been in my spirit, and I've just been reading it over and over again. It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and it's the message version. And you say, well, the message, I don't like the message. It's a little too casual. It's, it's not like the, the King James that I memorized in, in 1924. I don't know. But, but anyway, the point is, is it, it gave me a fresh perspective on this verse, and I, I wanted to share it with you today. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. When I read that, I say, well, where's the sign-up sheet? Is it on the back table? Because I'm going right after church. That's what I want in my life. That, that one phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace. That's the cadence that we're talking about. God wants you to live and run and pursue and work and do all of the things that he's called you, made you to do. But he wants you to do it at a pace that is sustainable. You've got 70 years, 80 years, 97, I don't know. Some of us might live to be 124. I don't know. But you've got a long way to go. And we want to make sure that you're running at a way where people aren't dragging you across the finish line. But that you're walking across with confidence just like Paul did. Where you can stand and you can say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. That's the life we need. If you'd all stand today... I want to ask you something. What if we started and committed today to living a life that was sustainable? A life that didn't wear us out, wear us down, make us feel burnout. What if we chose today to say, God, I'm going to learn to walk in your unforced rhythms of grace? What if you lived with an intentional cadence or rhythm in your life? And so just like I talked about, there's po negative and positive aspects to that. Maybe God's going to ask you to stop doing some things that you've been doing. I'll, I'll be honest. There are times when I come home from work and I'm beat and I'm tired. I do a few chores, knock those, those things off my list. And then what do I want to do? I want to put my feet up. I got one of those electric recliners that it goes up. So I don't even have to pull the handle. I just hit the button and feet go up. And talk about lazy. That's living the good life. But sometimes I just want to sit in my recliner and turn on Amazon Prime or Netflix and just turn my mind off for a little while. But I do it too much. You know how I know that? Because the Holy Spirit's been saying, hey, what did you do last night? Did you accomplish anything that was positive in your life? Now, not to say you shouldn't rest. You should. But here's the thing. 
we have to ask God, what are those things that are in my life that are keeping me from running with perseverance? Or what are those things that I need to add to my life? You know, Ben lately, he's been a gym rat. He's been going all the time. He'll go and he'll spend two or three hours up there. I asked him, I said, what do you do up there for that long? He said, well, you know, he said, I have to change clothes and I have to get my music going. And I think he spends a little more time taking pictures in the mirror than he should. But the point is, he'll take these pre-workouts, right? He'll pump himself up on all these powders and, and chemicals. And then he goes in there and he's just like, no, you know, he's got hair down to here. And so now it's all standing out like that. You know, he's ready to go. He added something to his life that'll allow him to accomplish that goal of bulking up, of adding that muscle. So here's the thing. This week, I want you to pray and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. You, you remember I mentioned him, the Holy Spirit? Yeah, he's part of your life. And you can talk to him. I do it all the time. I know people at the park think I'm crazy. They think I'm talking to myself all the time because that's what I do when I walk. I talk to God. And sometimes he talks back. In fact, most of the time he's talking back. It's just most of the time I don't want to hear what he has to say. But here's the thing. If you will ask the Holy Spirit, he will show you those things that are in your life that are keeping you from going at a sustainable pace. And if you will ask the Holy Spirit, you can say, what are those things that I need to do differently? And he will give you wisdom. He'll send a podcast or an article your way. He'll send someone who, who's a, a Christian who's a little more mature in your faith, and they'll say, hey, I remember when I was going through that phase in, in my life, and, and I had to figure out what to do. And here's the other thing, too. Our lives aren't just one long, continuous stream of the same old thing. We go through seasons. We go through changes in our life. You know, sometimes you're going uphill. Sometimes you're riding it easy down. And so sometimes the way you were doing things before, you've now crossed into a new season of your life. And so things have to be different. So that is my challenge to you this week. Pray. Ask God. Because we believe that He's speaking. He'll show you what you need to know. And so as we close today, I just want to take a few minutes and remind everybody that, you know, we're in this for the long haul. This isn't a sprint. It's not a 40-yard dash. They're not timing us. We have the rest of our lives to live for God. So let's make sure that we're doing it in a way that allows us to finish with confidence like Paul. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to finish strong. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take those things, those distractions that get our eyes off of you, Lord, and to put those aside so that we can stay focused on the prize. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the commitment, the determination to stay with you in this project, in this walk of faith. Lord, I pray that you would remove the things that are negatively impacting us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us positive things, Lord, build into us. Help us to stay hydrated, Lord. Let us stay attached to your living water. Lord, bubble, let, it, let it just bubble out of our spirits. So Father God, as we go through this week, Lord, I, this, isn't, this isn't a shout them down from the rafters kind of message, but it's very practical. So, Father, as we go through our quiet time this week, as we talk to you, as we live our life, as we worship you this week, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to everyone in this room. Help us to find those things that will help us cross the finish line with the confidence that we need. Father, if there's anybody in this room who's just going through a tough time, 
Lord, sometimes we go through seasons in life where the where the hits start coming and, and then they, they don't stop and they come from all directions and we don't know where the next one's going to come from. Lord, some of us are still reeling from the blows. Lord, I pray that the, your Holy Spirit would be with those. Comfort them. Let them know that everything we need for life and liberty and, 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 and for flourishing, we can be found in you. Father, as we go out this week, Lord, I pray that you would help us to not get caught up in, in the old way of thinking. Lord, the lives we have, we live them in this way because they're habits. We've gotten into a pattern. So Lord God, I pray that you'd help us to break those patterns that are keeping us from running the race as we ought. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.